Hey, I'm Michael Dorinda. And I'm Jake Bennett. And welcome to episode 124 of North Meet South Web Podcast. Hey, you know what? We don't do we still have sponsors? Work Vivo? Always Work Vivo. Work Vivo. Always Work Vivo. Hey, folks, we appreciate Work Vivo and all the wonderful things that they have helped us accomplish over the many years that they've been sponsoring us. Episode 125. And, uh, you know, God willing, many more ahead. Maybe, maybe, maybe one day we'll get to 250. Who knows? But thanks, Work Vivo, for helping us keep the lights on. Yep. If you would like to be mentioned on the show, we'd love to have you uh, contact us. We'd love to have a couple more lights to keep on. And you know what? The other thing I was going to talk about is I want to, we used to do this. We used to give away licenses to all these amazing two cool products that people mm-hmm. would do. I used to reach out to those authors and um, I haven't done that in a while. And you know what? One of the ones I just want to mention real quick that I use every single day. What is it? Is F-Bar. 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 I use F-Bar every day, every single day. It's really, really good. It's by Jan Oostland. Mm-hmm. And uh, he actually has a company called East West. So we're North meets South and he is East yeah, West. Right. There you go. And so F- FBAR was out before the uh, API was out, I think, even. Well, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, it's it's really good. And it allows you to get to all your Forge servers really quickly and manage your stuff really easily through there. So it's really, really nice. So thanks, Jan. And uh, if you haven't used that before, check that out. Okay. So we're going to talk about a couple things today. Uh, the first thing I was mentioning to Michael just before we started was that a pull request that he started on seven months ago, six months ago, mm-hmm. finally got merged during my, during um, my unemployment because, time. Yep. During your unemployment time. And you were helping us work on some recurring payment stuff and some of the work that you did got used and some of it got changed and some of it got scrapped. And anyway, it's, it's, it, it wasn't because of you that it did get merged. It was because there was a lot more stuff to do than what time allowed us to actually accomplish. Mm-hmm. So, but the mistake was made. Here was the big mistake. Are you ready? The big mistake was when we went to merge that PR, it was not a squash merge. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It was just a merge. And so what ended up happening is we always squash merge, always. And so we end up having in our master branch a really clean history of like, here's this PR, and then the next merges. Here's this PR, and then the next merges. This, here's this PR. And each of those merges actually have a link to the pull request on it. Mm-hmm. So you just click that link. It takes you to the pull request. You can see all the individual commits if you care to and all the comments and things like that. And that's fine. But generally speaking, you're just going to see this big, you know, this big thing. So at, the reason I like that is because um, like if you're going through code and you go to like blame, you can see sort of like the PR title for when this changed. Oh, that's kind of the feature we were working on when this last changed. And you can dig into the specific commit mm-hmm. if you care to, but most of the time that'll tell you. Whereas like, you know, we tend to be sometimes we're lazy with commit messages, right? Maybe we write whip and all that stuff and fine, whatever. But if there was a one file that you changed where you actually did that whip commit and you need to go back and blame and you, that's how you're doing is you're just merging you never get really good context. You just get a whip. Like that's yeah. all you can see on the left-hand side when you're looking at the blame. So anyway, um, I had to uh, contact JMac and be like, dude, I have no idea. What do I need to do? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm guessing you could probably figure this out. And I had a general idea of what I wanted to do. But do you want to play the game? Do you want to tell me what you would do in that case? To, to go and find the... Well, I'm just saying to like, what would you do to fix that problem? Like if you accidentally merged without, you know, and instead of squash merging, 
because what I ended up having is that I have like, you know, you'd have, you had a bunch of commits right towards the top. Mm-hmm. And then you had like pull request, pull request, pull request. And then you'd have a commit that was made that was part of that pull request that just merged like in between all the other ones. You know what I mean? Like the history was not, I mean, it was sequential. Yeah. But it wasn't. Yeah. You'd have all it, the it individual commits. It was, in there. Yeah, yeah. All the individual commits in between all the pull request commits. It was a mess. I mean, you should be able to reset the, well, see, so this is the thing. And because you've done the merge in GitHub, if yeah. you were to then reset your main branch, you would have to, like anyone that had pulled down that thing would then have obviously a different history if you went and changed that. But yeah, exactly. a, a, a git reset hard to before the merge commit should should scrub all of those things anyway um, and then do a force push yeah. and then, you know, go and, go and do the, well, and then the trick becomes doing a squash, squash merge of the, of that PR again. Yeah, because and there was, the, here's the other problem: there were additional PRs after the fact. Yeah, <laughs> two more after mm-hmm. that one, in fact. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's exactly right. So we had to basically say, okay, reset, you know, get reset hard back to the last pull request that was actually the one that we intended to merge, mm-hmm. and then we had to essentially reopen the deleted. We had to restore the deleted branches actually yeah. that had been you know merged and deleted. We had to restore the deleted branches. And then we had to make a new pull request and merge that into master, referencing the old pull request, which had all the comments and all that stuff. Yeah, it's sort of a little bit of a mess, but it was worth it. It was totally worth it because otherwise it was just going to be a disaster for all time forever. So anyway, yeah, that was my adventure. Especially when you have a maniac like me that commits every five time, every five seconds. Yeah, everything, everything's like discrete commits and not, you know, sometimes you get a good commit message and other times it's, it's rubbish and... Yeah, yeah. Our new dev, our new dev Luke does that too. He commits all the time, just like constantly, which is fine. I have no problem mm. with that. But like, yeah, exactly like what you said. Oh, here's this little piece commit. Here's this little piece commit. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, how's your uh, how's your uh, last week been? What have you been working on? Uh, things are going going pretty well. Um, yeah, just swimmingly. Just, yeah, we've got um, we've got some pretty tight deadlines with some stuff at work at the moment that that we need to hit. You know, it's. Doing doing that whole thing, so uh, you know, just things that we commit to that, or that the business the business committed to getting done, and so just you know, got to got to make it happen. Um, so it's it's a pretty big project for us. It's it's a a very core piece of our application that we're completely rebuilding from scratch to facilitate some growth things over the next you know twelve months or so. Um, which which is always fraught with danger, you know, trying to plan twelve months in advance, but. This mm-hmm. this is something yeah, that's kind sure. of needed to be done for for a while, and and so you know the the initial scoping work for this project was estimated to take like a day, and ended up taking two weeks. So you can you can kind of guess how how complicated it is, and and I kind of I keep pushing the thing that trying to plan a feature that big is just problematic, as we know, because you don't you don't know what you don't know, and and in a feature that you know, your planning is three months of development work. You don't, you know, there are things that you're just going to discover along the way. You know, you can, you can try and plan out edge cases and, and future scenarios and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But there's just all of these things that you, you won't come across and, and things that we have certainly through the, the last, what are we in August? So like six weeks of development, things that we have found. That's like, well, this doesn't quite work in the context that we're using it in and the way that we've planned, it doesn't quite work, you know, and, and, and just, like all of those things yeah. that always come up when you try and plan 
too far into the future. And I'm I'm trying to get the business into the mindset, get the development team in the mindset of like that doesn't work. It never has worked. In in you know I've been doing this for 17 years now. I've done different businesses in different teams, and and, and it just never works. And so you know trying to get into the mindset of really focusing what you're trying to to build and deliver and just build like the next thing like what's the two-day project what can we ship to Maine? what can we get to production what can we put in front of our customers so that we can start getting feedback to make sure we're in the right direction and because this is kind of really key piece of our application it's difficult to figure out what like the very bare minimum is that we can ship that we can start getting feedback on in terms of like you need like that because we're so API driven without the the UI, it's hard to kind of get any gauge. And I said, okay, well, let's just get the, the UI together. It can be very basic. It doesn't have to be fully functional. It can sit alongside the existing stuff. And we just say like, here's a, a read-only view of where we're heading with this feature. Is this useful? Yes or no? What would you like to see here? Yes, you know, tell us. Mm-hmm. And then we can mm-hmm. kind of work towards that and build like the next little chunk. And... You know, that's that being able to do that and that, that obviously makes you more nimble in terms of being able to go, okay, well, we were going to go down this path, but the feedback that we've gotten suggests that maybe we should go down this path first rather than, you know, here's this thing that we spent three months working on, ship it and like, you know, sit there crossing your fingers that it is useful and functional and, you know, solves problems for, for people and things like that. So it's an interesting thing. I think that the, the business is kind of coming around to it in terms of like once we get this project out we're going to we're going to kind of pull back and try and work on smaller features and not i mean there's always going to be big features but delivering them in smaller pieces um yeah for sure and it's like it's fine to plan it's fine to plan it's just like yeah when you have goals that are like a year out it's just it's you can't necessarily hold all of that stuff as an actual I don't know, as an actual like goalpost, right. I suppose. Like it's a good plan, right? It's a good plan. Like you got to have plans, mm-hmm. right? You can't just like, like, like what I know what you're saying is you're not saying don't plan and just go two days at a time. That's not what you're saying. But what you are saying is take the goals and make incremental progress towards those every couple of days. Mm-hmm. And wherever you get at the end of that year is where you're going to get, right? I mean, like you can't predict what the future is going to hold. And, um, you know, things like, oh my word, we have this happen all the time. We're like, okay, we have this plan for this, what we're going to do. And then the compliance team comes in and is like, Hey, we have this priority. It has to happen right now. That happens all the time. I mean, like just, it's just how it is. The business needs this, something changed, some regulation changed. Hey, this provider is no longer one of our vendors. We got to change this all. I mean, that stuff is going to happen. So, so yeah, it's fine to make plans. It's just, you can't, hold a gun to people's head and be like this has to get done or else you know i mean you whatever unless it's except for in the rarest of circumstances right and so you know we'll get there we'll we'll hit the targets it's just it's it's also because the features are so big there's a lot of onus on me to and 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 i'm like taking more control over the, the technical direction and things like that so coming in and doing review is not just necessarily reviewing that the things work but also reviewing the way that we're doing things, you know, trying to get back to those Laravel conventions, trying to make sure that our tests are in there and providing good coverage for what, you know, for not only the happy paths, but also the edge cases and error cases and all those kinds of things as well. And not, you know, not to be comprehensive and have full coverage of everything, but just the obvious things, you know, that you could pass this invalid state in. So what happens then? 
And so there's, you know, when you get a piece of work that took a week to write, well, that's a lot of review time to go through. And so we're finding that like review stalls a little bit and then the review goes back and then it's like addressing the feedback and then all that kind of stuff. So all of this really compounds. And the fact that the team is kind of learning how to test for the first time makes things a little bit um, trickier as well. Take takes a bit longer because they don't necessarily know how to write the test in the first place. And and they're picking it up really well, which is amazing. And it's it's getting to a to a good place and and sort of two weeks in they're they're sort of starting to, you know, walk on their own and and they're putting some good work together. It's just getting over that initial hump and and like me standing sure. there and like going, hang on, if we don't do it now, like we'll never do it. You know? We we need to No so true. We need to do it now so that we can get this in our heads. Because this is a big piece of work and it's a hard piece of work and it's and it's challenging to test and there's like external integrations that we need to work out that we don't really have the testing infrastructure in place. So it's like, it's not just testing the stuff that we're writing, but it's then changing the way that we're doing stuff where we're like newing up clients to external parties. Well, we're now changing that over to resolving things out of the container. And so that means going, mm-hmm. finding yeah. all those places and resolving them and then swapping them out with fakes and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. it's not just like learning how to test, it's learning what to test, it's learning how to like keep the surface area of those tests confined and constrained to the, the things that you actually want to test to make sure that like the side effects are correct without, you know, ma- accidentally making it calls to external systems and things like that. So it's um it's certainly been I don't I mean it hasn't been hard, it's just been a lot of consideration to, you know, the status quo. And being very careful, obviously, we, we, while we're, we're changing this stuff that doesn't really have a lot of testing already, you know, being careful not to break it. And so that then slows down on the back end when we go through and do like the QA before we merge the, you know, the epics or the feature brand or whatever, because we still have to go through and manually test UI and we still have to go through and manually test the API for those other areas that we've like touched but don't really have tests for and don't have time right now to kind of put tests in for the existing stuff because we, we're focusing on trying to get the testing in for the new stuff. So it's a slow process, but, you know, there's buy-in from the business and there's buy-in from the developers and everyone's, like, on board with it. It's just, it's all new and it's all challenging and, you know, it's just something that we're going to go through together as a team. And it was funny because we did, like, one of our weekly catch-ups the other week and, and we went through, like, what are you excited about with work and what are you, you know, scared about with work and, a few people said, you know, they're scared with the timelines and all the learning and stuff that, you know, they're worried that we're not going to hit them. And I'm, I'm on the other side of the equation. I'm like, and I'm excited for the timelines because I know we're going to hit them and, and we're going to learn a lot along the way, you know, and, and sort of, the, you know, people up and down a bit about, you know, the, the code that they'd written. I said, look, don't, don't sleep on what you have. I know that we're going through a lot of growth and learning and we're, we're putting in a whole lot of new stuff all at the same time and trying to move away from what we we're doing to where we want to go. You know, we're, we're going to where the puck is is heading rather than, you know. And so don't sleep on what you've built in the past because it's built a successful business. That's why we're in the position we're in now sure. to be able to do Absolutely. this. Absolutely, yep. But because, we're, 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 because we are where we are, we can't keep going on the same trajectory. We need to kind of really lift now. And, and so that's, you know, why I'm here, why I'm here to help kind of build that out. And, um, 
So it's it, it's good. Once they get their head around that, though, once they get their head around the whole like instead of newing stuff up, yeah. being able to resolve stuff out of the container, we went through that. I talked with that uh, through that uh, with some with our devs the other day, just about like how how you know inversion of control and how the container works, and like it, you know had an idea for sure. I think I think Luke, my junior, learned the most probably. I think Jimmy probably knew a lot of a lot of kind of at least the the general concepts, right? But like once you get that idea. Mm-hmm of um the service container and service providers right um it makes such a big difference and it's like you have this magic thing that's out there mm-hmm. that you can call anytime to just grab a class yeah. out of yeah. and it's like it's so awesome cuz you know before like i don't know i'm just thinking back to like when i first started writing it it was so difficult cuz you were passing nude up classes all the way down mm-hmm. right like you'd have if you, you at first you were just newing stuff up in a constructor, right? And then you realized, well, I can't ever swap that out, mm-hmm. so now I have to pass it mm-hmm. in. But then you have this pass to pass it down. You have the the props problem that you have with Vue or all these JavaScript front ends right. now, where it's like you have to with if you're not using Vuex or something, you have to pass stuff down through like five components all the way down to the child, mm-hmm. right? So once you get that concept of like a container, like I can I can just pull this thing from the very bottom, and it's just gonna give it to me from the outside. Right. And then kind of taught the, I don't know if you guys are using exceptions much. Like, do you guys throw exceptions very often or not too much? Uh, no. We, and <laughs> that's a, that's a whole thing. That's the reverse. Yeah. That's, that's like the reverse, right? So the inversion of control can, the, the container thing is like, you can be in a deeply nested class and call something out of the container and just grab mm-hmm. it from the very outside, which is really nice. But like the exceptions are the complete opposite, which is like you throw something from somewhere deeply nested and you don't have to catch it until you're on the very edge, around the very outside, right before you respond to the user. And you can say, hey, I want to catch this and handle this this way. And so instead of having to pass false all the way back up the chain or some weird, stupid message, right? Because I know that's how I used to write it too. It's like, check this thing, then this thing, then this thing, then this thing. And if it didn't do it, then return false. Mm-hmm. And then I had to check above and then yeah. return false. And then check above, did it return false? And it was like all the way up. So if throwing exceptions is like the opposite, yeah. know, the opposite Just sort of Just bubbles right idea, up to the top. Like yep, exactly, exactly. Slices through all yeah. those layers. Um, which has been a hugely powerful pattern too. Yeah, right? we had a few yeah. places like that as well, just within some areas of our API. And I was like, well, Laravel already knows how to handle this and it'll handle it in a consistent way. So let's just throw a validation exception here. And yep. like even just calling yeah. like validate, validate make, whatever, pass it the rules, arrow validate. Yep. And then, you know, it's either going to throw an exception. That's here right, and, you said that. Yeah, Here that's and right. now, or it's going to, you know, flow through to the rest of the, the execution path and we, we just we just assume at that point that it's that it's working fine that is a great way to do that actually that is a great way to do that there are, so there like, are some scenarios we have to be careful of that um especially if, you, if, okay. you, if yeah. you've got like if you've got try catches around those calls somewhere and they're kind of uh-huh. like very generic like if you're just catching exception it yeah, may right. not bubble you, all the way yeah. up to where you expect it but you know in in general as long as you've got the the pieces above it in place where you're not you know, not lazily catching exceptions or throwables or whatever, then it's yeah, going to yeah. bubble all the way up. And and the benefit of that in that context is you don't, like you may need to do business logic kind of validation. So where you might use a validator yep, yep. after a validator sometimes or whatever that, that logic is, sure. you may do like, yeah, like... Where do you validate right, it? So yeah, you, where, you val- where do you validate your data, right? What layer? So you, you, might, you might validate using the Laravel's validator and then you might just do some other conditional checks. You know, if this this is true or if this value is whatever, we need to go and check this other thing over here. And 
then we fell into the trap of like conditionally doing those things and then like returning early and setting error states on the class so that that would bubble up in a in an mm, in a like yeah. a custom way and things like that and it's like well no just like validate it with messages you know and just throw that right there and you know it it consolidates all of that to you know one place to handle it it consolidates the response format because it's always going to be the same and that way it makes testing it easier as well because you're only ever looking for the same kind of validation errors. Like sometimes we'd have a 422 and sometimes we'd have a 400 and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, true. Yeah. It just makes it much easier to kind of deal with it. There's a couple of conventions with exceptions that have... Oh, and I will mention here too, for people maybe who haven't really dealt a whole lot with exceptions, like back in the day, what you used to have to do is sort of like in the handler.php class, you would have to catch specific exceptions up there mm-hmm. and then you'd handle them in there. Which you can still do, but like in case you're not aware of that, before things bubble all the way out, that handler.php will catch, right? It, everything is going to bubble up to that handler.php class. So you can, at that level, you could do a catch of any specific sort of error that you're looking mm-hmm. for. So if you don't want to have to handle it in every class and you're throwing it from a couple different places or something, that handler.php is like the last stop on the train before it goes out to the user. Yeah. And so you could catch anything you want there and handle it in there. However, there is another way to do it that Laravel introduced, which is that if you throw a custom exception and you put, you have two methods that you could put on that custom exception, uh, which are uh, report and render, I believe, are the two mm-hmm. methods. And report will basically uh, determine how it gets reported to probably your bug tracking, or I think you could probably even do logs in there and things like that, right? So the report method will get called. But then the response method will be how you actually return it back out to the user. So you can throw a custom exception way down low. And then if it bubbles all the way up, nothing catches it, it will get to that handler.php class. And then Laravel looks at the the exception and says, does it have a report method? Oh, it does. Run the report method. Does it have a response method? Okay, Mm -hmm. return that response method to the front end then. So that's another really powerful pattern if you're using custom exceptions that allow you to not have to sort of do that in your controller or whatever. I mean, you can, you can just do it right in the exception. Now, whether you think that's like an anti-pattern, like, oh, that's not like the domain. It's like, that's, you know, you're mixing concerns. I don't know. But I, I've used it before and it's been pretty interesting to, to yeah. use. So it's a, it's a handy trick to use for sure. Like if you've never used exceptions before and you and you really wrap your head around it, it's it's super powerful. And it'll certainly, uh, it, it, when you do have to kind of go deeply nested into the domain and then pull all the way back out, they're really, really helpful. So, for sure yeah. yeah it's um you know the suggestion is that like doing that kind of stuff kind of couples you to the framework but i mean if you're in that deep anyway it probably doesn't matter a whole heap and and the thing is like their exceptions they may have specific conventions around having a render and a report method and then the framework decides what to do with those exceptions based on that but you can pick those exceptions up and use them anyway you're still constructing them in the same way you still got a message and a and a code and whatever else that, you know, if you were to change from Laravel to something else, the exception would still be thrown in the same way. It's just that it would be handled as as though it was just an unhandled exception. So you would get the response format from that. So I don't know. It's um the, these things are in in the framework and and when you're in the framework, it's best to kind of follow the conventions and follow the standards and stick as close to it as possible because when you're not fighting the framework, you're finding that it's it's really there to help you and it's really going to make things a lot simpler for you in that regard. 
then you know trying to bring other ideas and patterns and things like that to you know into into your application so the other the other thing that i've i've found recently with with like testing artisan commands is a bit of a pain in the butt um mm, yeah and like i know that there's niceties around it that you can call this artisan and then you can you know assert status codes and assert things and whatever else but when you're doing that you, you're faking the command and then you like the command doesn't really run and so you can't really check stuff going on i think the, the issue that we ran into um last week is that because we're using multi-tenancy everything kind of needs to be scoped to the tenant context and that means that you need to run your artisan commands through like a proxy command, like a tenant run command, which then you have to pass the command. And then, and then, so that will then make sure that, you know, you're just carrying out database operations, but it's in the right database because we're one database per tenant. Sure. Yeah. The problem that we have is because of the way we scaffold our tests to have like a, like it's the same tenant ID, it's the same tenant database every time to like keep the test quick, is that doing that switching of um, tenancies can can cause breakages and, and we run everything inside of transactions. So if you if you end up calling within the context of the tenant, a tenant run command, those things kind of happen in different contexts, right? Inside of different transactions. So... Uh huh. Oh, that's so. Ooh, when yeah. when you seed your database at the at the global transaction, and then you're making changes to it inside of like another transaction, anything that you've seeded up here doesn't exist inside that inner transaction, and so you end up with tests that fail for for reasons that are if you're not if yeah, you, if you don't know why, dude, it's like why is this happening? And what it boiled down to was like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> like still have the artisan command, right? But the artisan command is just a vehicle to dispatch a job. Mm, that's true. Yeah, that's fair. So all your or an action or whatever you want to call right. it, right? So all your all your artisan command does is dispatches a job. And within yeah, within the context of artisan, right? You run tenants run, you command and whatever else, and then in production, in your actual application, that runs as you expect it. In your test environment, yeah. don't call artisan. Dispatch the job directly. Call app make job whatever arrow handle. Call the job directly, and then you can test the job because that's what you, like the functionality of the job. Yeah, yeah exactly. Don't, right. don't test artisan. Artisan works. Laravel the framework has tests for artisan. You know that if you call that command, it's going to run. Yeah. The only thing the only thing I could see doing is like if you wanted to say like if you're passing arguments or something, right? And you wanted to ensure that the job got the arguments in the correct order right. or something like that, right? I mean, you could do that. A certain job dispatched with... Right. And in, and know, in those scenarios, whatever. like you would have... And, and this is where you do like the outside in thing. Because that's the only thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. So the, the in is where you're testing the job and you're testing that the job creates the database record that you expect. It, it fires whatever else that it needs to. It does all of the things that it needs to. But then your outside test calls this artisan, you know... The, the command and then and all that does is just you, you queue fake or you bus fake or, or whatever and you right, assert that exactly, the job yep. was dispatched with the things that were passed into the command so you know that That's that it. bit's working but but don't yep. and then you don't actually ever call the job yep correct. correct um and so but you've always got you know two three four five ten twenty whatever however many tests you need to make you feel comfortable with the job but you've tested the job 
And that means not only do you have this thing that's well-tested that you know is going to work when you call it from an artisan command or where you schedule it and whatever else, but it also means that you can put buttons into your web interface and say, let's just go and kick off this job. And you just dispatch that job without like using the browser to, you know, press a button, which then calls artisan from like, I always think that's kind of weird that you're calling like the artisan console from your thing because you didn't like, and, and that means the artisan command is realistically just newing up a class and like or dispatching a job onto the queue or whatever. Which is fine. It's just an entry point. But it's just yep. an entry point. That's just all it as, is. A, as a request yep. as an entry point to dispatch a job. It's, it's the same thing. It's just you got it. You just you think of artisan as like your command line request interface and like the browser as your HTTP request interface. And so that means that you know that job is always being dispatched in the in the context of the tenant, and you don't have to worry about futzing around with like setting that up within within the artisan command to like, okay, well, we need to go and find that. But you can't find the tenant by domain because there is no domain in the request, right? You need to pass the ID and then you have to you have to do all this stuff. Um, and then like you end up testing the world more than you're testing your code. And, yeah. and I found this more and more is that, and, and I know that you can schedule jobs directly, but if you want to be able to do something manually, it's it's nicer to have that artisan command to do that. So... That that's something that you might consider, is to you know have jobs and have your artisan commands just dispatch jobs and like you may never use it via the HTTP interface, but the option is always there and it's much easier to do that because all you need to do is put it in a route, you know, and then your test is just the bus fake. Make sure the job was dispatched when you hit that route. You know all the rest of it works because you've already tested that. So that's that's something you can consider. People, yeah, who are there was. Um... Yeah, there there was a. I am trying to find it. I think it was Laracon online. Was it was it twenty twenty two spring? Anyway, I cannot remember. I cannot remember the name of the speaker. Dang it all. Mm. Anyway, somebody that we both know, but I can't remember his name, and so I'm trying to look it up. Anyway, he talked about you know if, uh, Frank Vanderhurten, Freak Vanderhurten introduced the idea of like actions. Yeah, Luke, right. When we were back Luke Downing spoke in, about in actions. That's it, Luke Downing. Mm. Thank you, Luke Downing. Yep, and he talked about exactly that, right? So he was like, "Here's how I test my actions, and then if you want to, you can dispatch an action from a job, like, or you can, you know, you can do it as a queued thing, or you can do it from a command, or you can do it from a controller, or you can do it from like a, an API, or you can do it from a webhook, yeah. or you can do it from anywhere, yeah. right? And all those things just act as entry points to basically feed in a list of arguments mm-hmm. or parameters that the job is going to need to know about, but then you test it once. Yeah, that's it." And then all the other things, all you're testing is, like you said, just that the values are getting passed, but you never actually have to test the world. You're just basically making sure, am I passing those things correctly right. through? Is my assumptions about how the framework is working actually mm-hmm. correct? You know, But yeah, man, that makes it so much better. So much yeah. better. Always. So, and, then, and then with, uh, with, with his thing, you know, he was, I'm sorry, I, I'm going to cut off, but what he would do then is he would make like, actions and then he would make like aggregate actions Mm -hmm. where he would aggregate multiple actions together inside of another Mm -hmm. action right so you might have something like notify of shipment Mm -hmm. and you might have something of modify um inventory right and those might be two jobs and in some senses you want so like in some places you're going to want to modify the inventory just from an admin panel and that works you can do that 
modify and modify inventory. Yeah. But when somebody buys something, you're going to want to do modify inventory and notify of shipment, mm-hmm. right? You'd only want to say, I, once you've shipped it, that's when you're going to modify your inventory. But you can just glue those two yeah. jobs together. Yeah, composable actions. Make it a new thing. Exactly. Composable actions. You got it. Exactly. So anyway, if you're, if you're interested in, in learning about that sort of stuff, Luke Downing's talk was really good and uh, was a great uh, summary of kind of how to use some of those techniques. Awesome. Awesome. Very good. Right, I know you're hey, going to um, Yeah, I do. I'm so sorry. Uh, we're going to cut this one a little bit short, but hopefully uh, all you folks listening out there got some good value. I did. I love talking about this. This is, this is really fun. So uh, it's we'll nice be to be back, back in, in two weeks to talk about it. It is. It well for you. For me, yes, yeah. absolutely. It is. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. The biggest. Every, uh, the biggest. Thanks. Sorry. Last thing. The, the biggest. Yeah. The biggest roadblock that I run into now is when I'm like asking people for suggestions on like how do I do this, and they're like, "Here is this amazing thing." I'm like, "Yeah, that was added in Laravel nine. Please talk to me in Laravel six. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, so well, funny. um, you're on your own. I do a lot of copy. The thing pasting. is, you probably know it's possible. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, you know, it's possible. Yeah. Like basically, the ideas are all there yeah. in the in the project. You just have to kind of yeah. like move them in yourself. Yeah. So, anyway, your your other developers are probably like, "Oh my gosh, you're a genius! How do you write code <laughs> so fast?" And you're like, "Command C, Command yeah, B." All right, everybody. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. This was episode 125 of the North Meet South Web Podcast. Find episode no, or find show notes for this episode at northmeetsouth.audio slash one twenty five. Hit us up on Twitter at North South Audio at Michael Dorinda at Jacob Bennett. Rate us up in your podcast of five stars is appreciated. We'll catch you in two weeks. Bye. See you folks.